Okay, sad day for us, isn't it? We are not in the Super Bowl. We don't know what that feels like, do we? (laughs) Well, we've just sang that God wants to turn our morning into dancing, so let's pray. Yeah. We feel like we perhaps had some unfair things against us. Uh, We just never could beat the Broncos, could we? All right, let's pray and (laughs) pray against the referees. Lord, we love you, and we need you, and the Pats need you. Lord, in all seriousness, we cry out for your mercy and your grace. We recognize that uh, as we open up the word, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than a double-edged sword, and Lord, we actually really need it to divide soul and spirit, bone and marrow for us today, because if we just live in the soul realm, we miss all that you have for us. We would enter into the spirit realm more today, all by your grace, through nothing that we can do. And so, Holy Spirit, won't you come, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we were unable to beat the Broncos this year, especially when it counted. Perhaps there's a little help from other people involved. But one thing that we can say about the Patriots this year, especially in December, is that even when they had a lot of injuries, they were still able to come together as a team. If you remember in the beginning of December, Danny Amendola, Aaron Dobson, Julian Edelman, the Gronk, Dante Hightower, Hightower, uh, Dion Lewis, and Nate Solder, all seven of them, there goes Gronk, they were all injured. And yet, the Patriots were able to pull off against the Titans and the Texans a couple of key victories in December. In other words, even without their big players, they were able to secure a victory. We have in our midst a high school football player. His name is Boozy Vance. And Boozy has been playing for St. John's Prep for the last four years. He's actually skiing today. Every time I call on a Vance family member, they're skiing. They just plan it that way. But Boozy, although St. John's Prep these last two years, junior year and his senior year, they have the same record. It was 8-3 and both years. But when you talk to Boozy, you find out that there is for him a qualitative difference between these two years. His senior year, this year, was really quite disappointing for him. And part of that was because, there he is, he's number 22. He's disappointed. He's actually at Fenway Park there, and they've just lost to Zavarian. But when Boozy talks about this year, his senior year, he says they had a lot of really strong individual players. And so they should have had a better record than last year. They should have been able to defeat uh, Zavarian. Um, Everett was their one loss in this season, and that they, they wish they could have defeated them. They had all the right big players. Compared to last year, his junior year, it was to be a rebuilding year. It was to be simply a year that they survived and rebuilt. But you know what happened? They beat their first three opponents last year, their junior year, who were the biggest opponents in the league. Brockton, Bridgewater, Raynham, and Central Catholic from Lawrence. And again, their only loss was against Everett. They were a bunch of weaker individuals, but somehow... In their junior year, his junior year, they were able to come together and win. See, we all feel like we need the big players, the big people on our team to win. But in reality, it could be that who we have around us is just enough. I think that Brian Carlson has the Spirit of God when he calls this church to be a part of the greatest awakening. Right? Why not here in New England? Why not 
in the place that seems, well, actually, it's proven statistically, it's the least biblically literate place as far as the cities of New England. Why not God coming here? And we think about moving towards the greatest awakening. Do we think that we need in our midst, say, some of our world mandate speakers? You know, why isn't Francis Chan here in New England? Why can't we get Jimmy Seibert here in New England? Why can't Bekele, instead of hanging out in Orlando, be here with us? Or Jim Yost, Indonesia, great. Why not him here? Or who's your favorite guy? Is it Tim Keller? Is it Bill Johnson from Bethel or Heidi Baker? Do we need those big ones in residence here? Of course we need them in the body of Christ. And of course we want to learn from them all that they can offer to us. But again, what if the people right next to you What if the person on your right and on your left is exactly who you need to win, to see God come with the greatest awakening here in New England, even in spite of his or her flaws and weaknesses? Or maybe it's simply in another area of your life, you're thinking, if I just had this person on my team, so to speak, then I could overcome in this area, I could succeed. This series that we're in is Dream Big, Think Small. Dream Big and Think Small. And what if, again, the person on your right or your left is exactly who you need to get done all the things that God has called you to do? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're huge. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. Okay? The saints next to you, and by saints I don't mean the football team, I mean the believers, the saints next to you could be the saints that you need. Okay, the saints right next to you are the saints that you need. Now, to unlock this for us, because there's some really subtle nuances here, there's some fun stuff for us to get into here in the Scripture. We're going to turn to a very Pauline, as in the Apostle Paul, idea. In fact, this idea that we're going to look at today is pretty uniquely, as far as I can tell, it's, it's Paul's idea, okay, by the Holy Spirit. We don't see it other places in the Scripture. But it's very Christ-like in the fact that Paul takes a very well-known thing of our day-to-day life and through it teases out a real spiritual reality. And he's addressing a church that has some real problems. Do you guys know any churches that have problems? (laughs) That's the one down the street, right? Well, the church that he's addressing with some problems, their problems involved kind of superior superiority and inferiority complexes. And it was revolved around the charismata. It, re- it revolved around spiritual gifts. Some people thought they were better because they prayed in tongues more. And that was kind of what was going on. I don't see that as a main divisive issue at the harbor. It's not over charismata. It's not over our spiritual gifts that we find ourselves divided. But there are other things that divide us. In fact, in many ways, the harbor is very much a microcosm of the culture. One thing that divides us is our civil status, right? Some of us are married. Some of us have kids. And some of us are single. And even that right there can be a cause of division and strife. There are differences in resources here. Some of us are wealthy and some of us are not as wealthy. There are differences of how we're schooling our kids. Some people are going homeschool. Some people are going private school, and some people are going public school. There's conversations around those. There's all the thoughts about organizational effectiveness. You know, the church, for better or for worse, is often, especially in America, affected by the latest thoughts in business culture. And again, most of these thoughts are really good. 
But then when it, when it comes down to, say, making a decision, should we transition to another facility? All sorts of thoughts come to play, and then we can get divided on how we think it should go. And, of course, there's our diet and consumer choices. You know, there's some of you here that find an entire macronutrient, carbohydrates, to be the Antichrist. And <laughs> us fatties just enjoy a good bowl of spaghetti, you know. But there's all that stuff, too, that, that, that divides us. So we're very much a microcosm of the culture. And to us, with even our divisions, the things we rally against, or you know, whether we're Bernie or Hillary or Trump or Cruz, all the things that can divide us, Paul's got a word for us today. And it all has to do with this idea that nonetheless, the person next to me might be just all that I need to accomplish God's purposes in spite of his or her differences, weaknesses, and strengths. So let's... Read together. Please follow along with me on the screen. This is 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, read with me out loud. We're going to read from 12 to 26. Join me. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, Where would the sense of hearing, sorry, I missed a verb there, be? Continuing, if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require." But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There's three main things I want to pull out regarding this idea that maybe it's the saints that are right next to you that are all the saints you need to do all that God's called you to do and be. The first here in these first two verses, it's really a beautiful picture. I'd like to look at them again. Notice the sacramental language that Paul uses, and I want to pull that out. He says, we're all members of one body. And look at that in verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized, okay, into one body, Jews or Greeks. Whole 30, fatties like me. Slaves or free. We were all made to drink. Sorry, I'm just going to knock that all time. This whole, I'm just going to knock whole 30 the whole day. Is that okay? All right. (laughs) 
see how many people I can alienate in a short amount of time. Jews agree, slaves right. So we're all baptized in one body, right? And then, of course, we're all made to drink of the same spirit, a very communion type of picture. So despite our differences, we're all one, and we are about to all experience this. You know, we are going to, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And really, what I love about communion, and I wish that, A, I wish we could install a camera right about there so you could see yourselves walking up to take communion. It's actually breathtaking. I think I feel, again, one one trillionth of maybe what Jesus feels when he sees his bride. And it's breathtaking because only the power of Jesus can bring people like us together. With all of our differences, some of you are happy today. Some of you are sad. Some of you are black. Some of you are white. Some of you are Asian and Hispanic. Some of you are wealthy. Some of you are not so wealthy. And it's only the power of Jesus being baptized into his spirit and us drinking of his body, eating his, excuse me, partaking of his body and partaking of his blood. It's only that that really can unify us. It takes a power way bigger than humans to do it. And we know that. We see the events unfolding in our own nation, in Europe, in the Middle East today. It takes the power of Jesus to unify people. So it's a beautiful picture. It's sacramental. Our unity is sacramental, meaning it takes the power of God for us to experience it. See, the saints next to you are all the saints you need. And as you're coming up to take communion, it'll be great to be mindful of that fact that it's Jesus who's making us one. Now, the question I have as we continue, does this unity mean uniformity? If we're called into this oneness, if Jesus does this miraculous thing when we partake of communion and we're baptized in the same spirit, does it mean that we are uniform? And of course, I think you know the answer. Of course, it's absolutely not. Right? The diversity in the body, really the whole central idea of Paul's passage here, is there's an incredible diversity and it's beautiful. And I don't know... But if only Paul could have known how prescient he was in using this illustration. Because in the 2000, I don't really know the state of medical arts 2,000 years ago, but I know that even in the last 100 years, we've come a long way. But just think about the body. You know, Paul uses the metaphor very basically arm, you know, leg, foot, hand, all that. But with what we know about the human body now, we know that the level of coordination between the systems, the intricacy that's involved in the body is absolutely astounding, okay? I could share 251 facts right now, but I'm going to keep it to 10, okay? In the last second that I just said second, your body just made 2.5 million new red blood cells because your body has 2.5 trillion happening all the time. To keep that number up, your bone marrow has to make 2.5 million every second. That's the population of the city of Houston in red blood cells that just happen. All the tissues and cells in your body, 25 million new cells are being produced in them every second. That's a little less than the population of Texas. When I coughed over there a little second ago, I created a wind of about 60 miles an hour. And if I sneezed, I would have been creating a wind of about 100 miles an hour. Your nerve impulses. So you touch your neighbor, boom. That's weird, but they just felt it at 250 miles an hour, okay? Your eyes can distinguish up to 10 million color surfaces, and that takes in more information than the largest and most powerful telescope known to man. Ever look at your hand, and if you're next to them, don't put their hand in their face. That's rude. 
But you look at a square inch in your hand, okay? And in that square inch of hand, you have nine feet of blood vessels, 600 pain sensors, 9,000 nerve endings, 36 heat sensors, and 75 pressure sensors. Your body contains enough iron to make a spike strong enough to hold your weight. Interesting context. We're in church. Jesus. The surface area of your lung, if we could kind of unfold one of your lungs, just one. Actually, let me take this back. Let me be clear. Okay, it says one. So the surface area, if we could take out one of your lungs and kind of unfold all the surface area, which would be just really beautiful, wouldn't it? It would cover the size of a tennis court, all right? And if we could condense all of your blinking of your entire life into one segment of time, you would have your eyelids closed for about 1.2 years. You got on a scale yesterday, all of you whole 30 people. You got on your scale. And the sad thing, I'm sorry to say, guys, but there's still, just like all of us who are not whole 30 and still enjoy spaghetti, we still all have 10% of our body weight is the bacteria that's in your body. It's allowed to live there because God thought it was a good idea to keep everything in check. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the first half an hour of your life you spent as a single cell. Wasn't that fun? Do you remember that? Okay. Human body, incredibly complex. A lot of coordination needed between all the systems. Again, I don't know if Paul realized how powerful this imagery was but I'm sure it was up the Holy Spirit's sleeve. And so it is with you and me. And what I mean is, every week, there's tons of amazing body stuff that goes on here. And of course, most of it is under the radar. Most of it, we don't know what the other people are doing. But I think of a few people here. I think of Angel Caps, who is always flashing her signature smile. And she's being the joyful overcomer that God has called her to be. I think of Ben Hanchett, who daily he brings kingdom life to bear on the students that he teaches and the students that he coaches, and it's awesome. I think of Caitlin Deshane, who every Sunday morning is here making coffee for you and for me so that we can enjoy some hospitality. I think of Dirk and Chris Nims. These guys have spent their lives equipping students with ESL skills so the students can be successful. And that just is the flow of who you guys are. I see over here somewhere. Who you guys are equipping people equipping young people to be all that God's called them to be. Evie Martin, she is loving vulnerable kids every day in her life, and she brings joy wherever she is. She's always serving. I think of Hannah Mercier, who takes care of three of the harbor's children during the week, and just she's so full of grace. Look, there she is, taking care of the kids, right? And it's awesome. I think of Ingrid Oriana, who is a, a just graduated Gordon. She works in Gordon's international office, and so Day in and day out, she's serving and pastoring these international students, dealing with their um, circumstances on a regular basis. I think of Jeremy Tyndall, who just for me the other uh, day and has been doing this regularly, he, he um, wants to grow in the prophetic. And so he shared with me a dream that he'd had. And uh, he is helping others by, by listening to the Lord for them. Kate Powers, she processes your tithe every week as a volunteer. You know, normally church administrators do that. We don't, we don't have really one of those, or we have a part-time guy who's shared by three churches. Kate Powers is processing the tithe every week. Mason Cassidy, all fall into the spring. He's been coordinating rides on Sundays for all of our Gordon students. It's a thankless job. Thank you, Mason. Nancy Bergner, is she here? I think her kids are here. Nancy, she's not here. We'll brag on her. She loves her children. 
And she's been loving the school children that she's working with through challenging times in all of their lives. Peter Navoychuk, I think of. He's a Gordon student here. Kind of an unsung hero. He's a, I believe he's a senior. Is that right? Peter? No. Is he a junior? Great. You got another year with him. Good. Peter's got a tender heart. He's always advocating for others, believing the best for them. Jeremy's wife, Rachel Tyndall, she loves her children. She supports her husband. She has just such a good heart, even though she's been through some serious trials, and she always comes out sweet. I don't understand it, but it's wonderful. <laughs> Silas and Shauna Anthony, I would say the harbor's hottest new married couple. They are fun. And I don't know if you know this, but they go on walks, and they gather seashells, and then they paint them, and it's really beautiful. There's beauty that they bring to this world. Tori Newhouse, she serves every other week, helping with the operations here, and she's up on some weekday mornings as we process our operations. Vivian Hall, Sarah Hall's mom, she labored for a year to serve her daughter Sarah to make sure that Sarah got the quality of help that she needed, and all the while with a smile. And finally, i sorry, I didn't have any X's or U's, but I have Zach, Zach Benedict. He's a missionary kid, and he... Um, He's an entrepreneur, and he's working hard to build his fitness franchise, and he's loving Jesus along the way. I, just, I shared about 0.01% of what's happening in body life at the Harbor Weekly, right? I, there's the 99.99 that I didn't get to mention right now because of the ways that each one of you is serving and laboring. And the point is, if any one of you didn't do what God had called you to do or given you to do, just as it is with you know, if some little teeny part of our body doesn't function well, things shut down, right? Systems shut down. Limbs lose life and people die. You know, so I am overwhelmed by the beauty of the body of Christ as it works, and it's awesome. Now, let us look at this body passage again. This is this, um, let's look at this 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 14 to 21. Let's look at this middle section. Again, I've just made the point at length, probably ad nauseum. Body's complex, so are you, and it's awesome. Okay, let's look at a little slant that Paul has here. He says the body doesn't consist of one member, but many, right? Foot, hand, mm-mm. Okay, and yeah, I just want to look at these. Actually, yeah, right here. These questions, 15, 16. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 16, if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. The saints next to you are all the saints you need. But guess what? You're one of them. You are one of the needed saints. The slant of this section is to you and me when we ask the question, does anyone care? Do I even matter? Does my gifting matter? Does who I am come to bear in the church? And the answer resoundingly is yes, Yes, yes. Two weekends ago, we had our conference, World Mandate. And our Saturday morning speaker was a mentor of mine, Jimmy Seibert. Now, anytime Jimmy Seibert comes on a screen, there's a whole lot of emotions that I feel. And what they date back to is the fact that in 1991, I showed up as a freshman in his college ministry, a ministry that was about this size. And over the four years that I was there in his college ministry, at, um, then it was called Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas, that ministry grew to four or 500 people meeting on a Saturday night. Now, I was never in Jimmy's inner circle. 
I was discipled by a man that he was discipling. But all through my years, as I've grown up in this movement, there has been a longing for validation from him that shows you something that's wrong with my heart and that Jimmy was never meant to satisfy. You know, Jimmy was not meant to satisfy the validation needs of every person in his ministry. So when I see him on the screen, some of the emotions I feel are, ah, I wish you knew what I was doing. I wish you could see what is happening here. And when I see him, you know, at our yearly conferences, I, I, I kind of turn into like a little boy, and all of a sudden I have like, um, you know, it's as if, I don't know, Justin Bieber's in the house or something. You know, I just, I just turn to, you know, you're so amazing. Just talk to me, you know. Which, of course, is how I feel about Justin Bieber all the time. So, so now, I can say I've made it into two of Jimmy's books. Actually, one and a half, right? There's a little mention, he says, you know, that he knows a guy named Kurt, and Kurt discipled two men, one named Colby and Neil. Colby has a church here, and Neil's a church. I was like, yes, we made it in the book. Some of you read his other book, Passion and Purpose. Actually, sadly, the, the precursor to that book was called The Church Can Change the World. There's a picture of me in that book. But then when they did Passion and Purpose, they took out the picture. So I'm, I'm actually only, I'm not in that one anymore. <laughs> Tough. Jimmy in the body is like a bicep. He's huge, okay? He just has a gift. I feel like I'm a little section of the lower intestine. <laughs> but the fact is, if I don't function, then guess what? That body does not function, okay? <clears throat> What the harbor needs, what the body of Christ needs, is not Neil trying to be Jimmy or any of us trying to be anyone else here. What the body of Christ says needs is you being you in the Holy Spirit and being the part that you have been called to be. You are needed. And not only are you needed, but you're needed on the team. In other words, yes, your gifts are needed. Yes, who you are is needed. Yes, I love that you're doing body stuff every week that I don't see and it's wonderful. But you are needed on the team. And what I can say about Jimmy also, Jimmy's probably one of the most humble men that I know because he's always been aware of his need for team. He, like Jesus, does not think he's the man. He realizes that for us to accomplish the task at hand, he needs everyone doing their part. That's what I appreciate about him and why we trust his apostolic leadership. The saint next to you is the saint that you need. And you are needed. You're one of the saints that someone else is looking at. You are needed. Now, finally, the last thing I want to pull out, the last question I want to address is, but how do we unlock this diversity? In other words, if the unity of the body is unity and not uniformity, but diversity, because it's beautiful, because of who we've all been made to be, how does it get unlocked? And this is where the last section of this scripture, I believe, is very helpful. <clears throat> Notice now that we've gone from the angle of, what if I'm not good enough, to something else. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Well, that's countercultural, isn't it? I don't know if you've been around a high school lately. There's a lot of pressure. Grades, tests, 
Enough extracurricular activities. Ah, you know, you have to be a superhuman at age 14 now to get to college. But look at what this is saying. This is saying, guess what? Non-superhumans are welcome in the body. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. How do we unlock the diversity that's here and it's awesome? How do we, how do we, how do, we do that? I would say, how I would summarize these verses is, how we treat one another is how we unlock the beautiful diversity that's here in the body. Just as a matter of um, relating socially, I always love it when someone finally feels comfortable enough around me that they start to get funny, you know, that their humor starts to come out. They get a little sarcastic with me. I'm like, yes, okay. Now they're comfortable enough to give me a little edge, and it's okay. And so I kind of feel that likewise, the more we get comfortable with each other, the more that our gifts can come out. I so appreciate the example that we have in the book of Acts where Barnabas recognizes Saul, you know, who is becoming Paul. He sees his gifting, and he kind of, to continue this football thing, he runs interference for Saul, Paul, and says, guys, church, we can trust this man. He's gifted. His calling is from God. He's not going to deceive us. He's worked through. He's the real deal. That's a beautiful picture of what you and I can be doing all the time to each other, right? Andy Cassian, you're the real deal. I love it when you dance and worship. I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just saying that when you worship and you do it in the dance way, I'm blessed because there's worship coming out of your heart, you know? We run interference with each other. We say, she's called, he's called. And when we stumble, we say, hey, I know that's not really you. You're actually a mighty man of God. You're a beautiful woman of God. I know you messed up there. I know you blew it there, but I know who you really are. And that's how we treat each other. We honor each other. We weep when one is weeping. We rejoice when the other is rejoicing. One thing I've noticed, though, is that this takes time. It takes time to discover other people's potential contributions and then match them with opportunities. I mentioned earlier that Silas and Shauna, besides being incredibly cute because they go to the beach together, pick up these um, shells, and then that's actually Silas's. Silas's aren't that great. Shauna's are awesome. If you notice, I don't know. <laughs> Silas, you know, good job, Silas. I, I should have gotten you one of Shauna's because it's like art. You know, it's amazing. It's good. So glad. I don't think he's here today. It's good. Safe. <clears throat> the only reason I know about this couple that walks on the beach, picks up shells, and then paints them together is because Kelsey and I spent some time in their house. And obviously, Kelsey and I can't do that for everybody. Carlson's can't do that for everybody all the time. But we can do it with each other. We spend time with each other. We discover the gifts that we each have. And we run interference and make room for each other's gifting as best we can. So remember, the saints next to you are all the saints you need. We have what we need right here to see the greatest awakening come in New England. 
So instead of waiting for the next big person, you know, instead of waiting, saying, God, when are you going to send Dave Wilkerson kind of person to Boston? When will a guy like Tim Keller finally take up Boston's cause or whatever? Why don't we just treat the saint next to you, the saint next to you like the big person in Jesus, he or she is? Okay? I think there's a C.S. Lewis kind of quote. I'm botching it. I, I, I'm paraphrasing, I think. But essentially, the person next to you on your right or your left is huge in the Spirit. They're beautiful. They have incredible destiny in the Lord. And they're all we need to see God come. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And I'm going to invite the Lanus to come up to help with communion. And Kelsey, why don't you help me serve as well? Unless, Carlson, would you like to serve communion? Is your wife here? Yes? You guys? Sorry, babies? Okay, we'll do it. All right, me and Kelsey. So I had this thought. I recognize that we're now 52 and a half years after the assassination of JFK. Sorry, I'm headed somewhere, just, you know. You know, it was in 2013 that we celebrated the 50th anniversary of his assassination. And it just reminded me that, um, well, ah, okay, I'll go. <laughs> um, it just reminded me that, you know, JFK was young when he decided to run for president. And if you've read any of his biographies, it was kind of a, Maybe we should do this. Like, let's just try. Why not? It was kind of, you know, as he and his buddies and his advisors and brothers just said, we could really do this. It was kind of that entrance. It's kind of how JFK backed into, I could do this. I should try. It just reminds me of Carlson's call, the greatest awakening happening in New England. Why not? Like, why not now? Why not now? Why not us? Why not believing? that the giants on our right or left are the very people that God wants to use to see stuff blow up in New England like never before. So our response this morning, you know, when we take communion, there's kind of two main uh, lenses through which we can take it, and obviously we take it through both. But one is the lens of personal holiness and sanctification. And yes, we need the blood of Jesus, right? You and I need the blood of Jesus to cover our sins today. And I don't want to minimize that part. But the other thing is, the part mentioned by these verses, we've all been baptized into one spirit. We all drink of the same spirit. And so today, as you take communion, this may be a little intangible, but I guess, I suppose, my invitation is, Jesus, as you take communion, thank you that the saints on my right or my left are all the saints I need to do and be all that you've called me and us to do and be. I, we're not being exclusivist. We're not being proud. We're not being arrogant. It's like, we're going to do this. Of course we need the saints in Texas. Of course we need the saints in Florida. We need the ones in Europe, Africa, Australia, Asia. We need them all. But we don't need to fret or be anxious or be insecure. We can say, Jesus, who you've given me right now, right here is all that I need. Amen?